Hey, Queeros, today's episode is sponsored by Dear Franklin Jones. Yeah, that's right. Dear Franklin Jones is a new podcast from Stitcher. Growing up, reporter Jonathan Hirsch, his family was a little different. They followed a controversial spiritual leader named Franklin Jones. To Jonathan's parents, Franklin Jones was a god, but to people outside the group, he was a cult leader. Join Jonathan on a journey to find out what really happened and whether the group was actually or did become a cult. You can binge all episodes now before the series finale airs this week. Listen to all seven episodes of Dear Franklin Jones on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cameron here. First of all, I want to thank you so much. So many of you have come out to see me at live dates recently. I have a ton of shows sold out coming up. Um, The only shows that I have that are not sold out, I'm in Nashville on April 18th, and I am in Huntsville, Alabama on April 19th. So if you live in either one of those places, as of right now, tickets still avail. Go to CameronEsposito.com. Today on the show, we have... Margaret Cho. Margaret Cho, I'm going to say this in the episode, is actually the first person I ever saw do stand-up live. It was a huge and influential moment in my life because I started seeing stand-up, seeing a woman on stage, um, seeing a woman of color, and seeing her in a huge theater um, and seeing her crush. So I've met Margaret over the years um, doing stand-up, but this is our first real sit-down conversation. I... I hope that you enjoy it. But this is our first real conversation. Enjoy the show. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. Ooh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know what I do on the show? I have guests introduce themselves. Would okay. you introduce yourself? Um, my name is Margaret Cho. I'm a comedian. Um, I do some other things, um, but I... Always come back to comedy. For some reason, it's the one thing that I'll never stop doing. I mean, it might be that you're good at it. Well, thank you. I think <laughs> it's uh, also that I don't know how to do other stuff. Like, I, I can't, you know, I, uh, I, I just, I'm never good at other things. Like, I can never, like, if, you know, when you get something at Ikea, which I still do. Um, yes, I, it won't, ma- it won't get made. I'll just leave it in the box. I just like basically, and the, but first I'll take the really important tools, like the little like screwdriver and stuff. And then I'll throw that out. Well, I mean, <laughs> yes. And then I'll, like, what then are the you going to use that stick. for? If you're not putting it together, you're not going to use that tool. Yeah. No, no dice. No. Um, I actually just happen to know, well, that, that leads me, I just know this about you. You started really young doing stand up. Mm-hmm. I started at, um, 14 and, uh, my, I was a duo. I wasn't. Oh, just, I didn't know that. Um, and my comedy duo partner was Sam Rockwell. Of course, now he just won the Oscar. But <laughs> right. uh, wait, I, is that real? Yeah, we That's went to wild. high school together. We had this uh, teacher who. This is inappropriate. Now that I look back, I'm like, this is actually highly inappropriate. She would sign us up for open mics at the other cafe, which is a comedy club in San Francisco, and we weren't even old enough to be in the bar. We were like 14. Wow. Maybe 15. I think he was a little bit older. But uh, we um, we just did it, you know. And uh, Aisha Tyler was also in our group, but she and uh, she, I think she, we did other sketches with her, but not at the other cafe. But that was our first exposure to doing stand up comedy. And then he um, moved to New York with his mom, and I stayed. And I still, I I loved it. Like I, when I first did it, it was really structured. Like we were trying to be this like married couple, but we were kids, so it was weird. It didn't really. It didn't make sense to me, but it was a good way to get out there and not be by yourself. That's one thing about comedy is kind of scary because you're alone. Do you not like that? I kind of I kind of like that. I do like that because it, it, you have control over everything. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like for me when people go like, wow, you're so brave. I'm like, no, I like really like to have everything be in a certain way and like, yeah. like you know, mesmerize. Uh, but I, actually, I say that. But I have, like, a comedy partner now. I perform with my wife yeah. sometimes as a duo act. So yeah. strike everything I just said. <laughs> um, and you're – I only bring that up, you starting really young, because when you said you don't 
know how to do anything else. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I mean, you started at 14. Yeah. That's so- like a... That's a during your your like personality still forming. Your brain right. is like creating, and then you're and stuff. arrested, maybe kind of in that in that uh, arrest arrested development. Like you're sta- you're still there. So mentally, I'm somewhere still 14. Like in my sense of humor and what I think is funny. Like what I think is 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 good to talk about, which would be I guess my family or like bodily functions. Those things are still like really just funny to me. So. Uh, I have a very immature sense of humor because I started so young. I think that's what it is. So you, at 14, were just doing mics. But then, like, what what's the next jump from there for you? Um, well, in San Francisco, comedy was very big. And uh, you could end up doing shows, like, every night. And, like, I was thinking about this. The first comedy show that I saw, it was Ellen was hosting. Ellen was the MC, And um, I think it Oh, God, I can't remember who was the middle, but then it was Will Durst who was headlining. And um, it's in San Francisco. And it was uh, it was so crazy. And um, eventually I started to – I opened for Ellen. I would get jobs opening for people like Howie Mandel or, or um, different comics all over. Um, and that was really the next step was you start to be an MC and you start to like open up for other comics. And there was a lot of local gigs so you could do that and make a living. Like even as you're still in your teen years? In my teens, uh, I was probably making a living at it probably by 17 or 18. Um, and then I had other jobs. I worked at this lesbian leather collective called Stormy Leather in San Francisco. Sounds great. It was south of market and it was um, le- lesbians making dildos. And they, they opened a retail store. So I uh, worked at their little retail shop, helped them open it. And, um, you know, that, that was where I... Uh, kind of became exposed to a lot of, like, that sort of very sex-positive 90s queer stuff. Like, that was really uh, crazy going on. And um, so that and comedy were the sort of the same. I was doing both at the same time. Also, you said you said Ellen was hosting. That was the first show you saw? Yeah. Ellen you, was hosting. Can I tell you? I We've we've met, like, a couple times just casually. Mm-hmm. But I it's never never in a green room is it the right time to say this to somebody – you are the first person I ever saw do stand up live. <gasps> wow, I love that. Yeah, that's was, so great. It was awesome. I was in college and I was with my first girlfriend, and we were, um, she was Korean. So mm-hmm. we were like, first of all, figuring out that we were gay. Aww. And then also, she was like looking for examples of folks that might look vaguely like her or mm-hmm. have like even the same color hair yeah, yeah. in the media. Of course. And so uh, we went to go see you in Boston where we lived at the time. That is awesome. Yeah, it was rad. It was really fun. I also can't believe that the first time I saw somebody do stand up that it was a woman. Like just by the odds. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's like wild. <laughs> that it, it was is like wild. Because you were also headlining like a huge theater and stuff. You had yeah. a lot of power and it looked really cool. And oh, so I, I was like, that. oh, this is what stand up is. Like women it. go on stage in front of many mm-hmm. people and are powerful. And as it should be. Yes, exactly. Like, it was like you normalized something that, like, I think for sure is, like, (laughs) non-normative. Like, nobody's experience is like, yeah, no, I went and saw, like, a woman just – I can't remember where it was. Like, the Orpheum or something in Boston, but – Oh, I think – I yeah, I know that. Yeah, that – I remember that, actually, that time. um, And, uh, yeah, it was probably in the early 2000s, something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I remember that because Ani DeFranco was there a couple of nights after me, and she and I are friends. So we were trying to hang out, but it was uh, too crazy. That's the other thing that you find out, like, when you start to do a lot of shows, and then you have, like – your Shiro's, Queeros, yes. mine would be Ani DeFranco's one, um, you never get to see them because you're always working. Yes, like even your friends yeah, or you maybe like your anybody. partner and you stuff know, like that. Yeah. Well, that's hard. Do, do you guys go on the road together? You know, Rhea and I, like when we moved here, I almost immediately after we moved here together, mm-hmm. I got this gig opening for Anthony Jeselnik and I was gone for like a year. Mm. And would just come home on, like, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah. And, like, wash my clothes and right. repack the same. Yeah. Like, I had, like, eight of the same T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Because I was just like, this is what I wear on stage. I wear yeah. this T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And actually the jacket I'm wearing right now. And then, It like, makes it easier. You know? Um, so then after that experience of realizing how much it could 
pull us apart, mm-hmm. we started touring together. And we only stopped like this year. We've, mm. we've been touring together for like four years. Yeah. Um, which is great. But it's so much pressure to put on a relationship too. It's kind mm-hmm. of like you're like, well, it's terrible when we're apart. And then yeah. also when we're together, then we're like scrounging for like whatever diner you're going to find in the city you just landed the in worst. and you're like trying to figure out how to get all of your needs met. I know. And that like before um, Uber, you would have to get a cab or walk along the side of the freeway. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> right. Yes, the hotel exactly. is always on the side of the freeway, like at some Hampton Inn or something. So you would have sure. to be like walking to try to get to a Waffle House mm-hmm. or something, which is, uh, it's it's not glamorous. It's not easy either. And um, but yeah, I think that the um, the I I do that now too. I tour a lot, and then I'm basically home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Well, this week Thursday because I'm in in Irvine. The 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 one small luxury of getting to do the uh, L.A. area gigs. Yeah. It's fun. You get to sleep in your own bed. Yeah. How do you feel about – so, like, yeah, it's exhausting and all those things. I also feel that – I don't know. Sometimes when I'm in a different city, especially if I'm alone Mm -hmm. and, like, there's no reason I should be there. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm just – I, some of it makes me feel like kind of a badass where I'm like, it is. how did I create cool. this? Like, how did, how did this happen? <laughs> like how, what set of things had to line up for me to be just like walking on this random street? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, one of the great things about it too, is that kind of feeling like, oh my God, I'm a business woman. I'm like a business cowboy where yeah. I'm like, where I'm like making my own rules. Mm. And, but I'm also, but I also am a businesswoman. Do you feel yeah. like a businesswoman? I feel like a businesswoman or actually I feel like a businessman. I think yes. that's, it's more like, Fair. I feel like a traveling salesman. Oh yeah. I love that. You know, like I come back and I have like all the encyclopedias and yeah. you know, that kind of thing. I mean, but I'm from the era where comics would just live in their car from, from gig to gig. So they would like just do the gig and then basically Tuesday, Wednesday, they would just sleep in their car and then go to the next gig because you would have like the comedy condo. Now you missed the era of the comedy condo, which was truly I disgusting. In, I stayed in a couple comedy condos, oh. like caught like right the end where, mm. where there was like still a still one in yeah. town or whatever. That's the but worst yeah. because you're inhabiting a space that <laughs> mo- the, for fifty one weeks out of the year has been like gross guys. Yeah. So to be a woman in a comedy condo, very rare. Um, one time there was this comedy condo in Anchorage, Alaska, that had um, one of the walls in the bathroom was a, a decoupage or mural of um, mosaic of porn, uh, little snippets. So the and then it was stuck. I don't know if it was semen. Oh no! Or Mod Podge. Oh no! No or Elmer's glue. No, but it no, was no, 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 a no. huge collage made by male comics of <sighs> porn that they liked. Yeah. They would snip out the little scene that was their own favorite, and then attach it to this mural. And it it I it that was horrifying. Kind of sounds like a visual representation of the industry. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> like, I mean. Yeah. That's what it is. I mean, it, even in the Me, me Too era. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I read this thing that was so stupid today about how women are scared about Me Too because men are going to be afraid to work with women because they're sure. afraid of being acute. I'm like, that's so stupid. That's not true. <laughs> I mean, I think that – I think there's a lot of – unfortunately and also fortunately, we like live in an era where any take, anything that's like, here's my angle on this, will, yeah. get, will get published. Right. So – even if like one person had that thought, yeah, that's rising. That's somehow to part be... of the the whole. <laughs> exactly, like the conversation is like, no, all voices are equal. When sometimes mm. all voices aren't equal. No. Like when it's like, I don't know that that article is as important as like ending historical systemic injustice. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but we just. But everything is about like what can what can be important today. Yeah. And now what's an outrage? What's the daily outrage? Or what can this be an outrage? I, but I just, I'm like, this is so crazy. It's so weird. Um, but I, I love uh, gloating during the Me Too, Too era, the Me Too era superiority <laughs> and gloating. Well, just because I grew up in that time of in the 80s when young girls were sexualized, I was that age, like Brooke Shields and I are the same age. So that kind of um, experience was so uh, universal. You know, the girls getting molested and it not being a big deal. Like, look at Roman Polanski making the movie Tess about 16-year-old girl just being, like, 
well, in these relationships with these old men, it's so gross. And that was the it norm. Is, it is gross. And it's really funny because – not funny. Funny is the wrong word. But it's odd to me to see people being like, where are you even getting this from? Like where are you getting the yeah. idea that this has been around? And you're like, did you – have you been watching these movies? Because yeah. it, it's literally – like you're saying, it's literally in the movies. Yeah. Like the plot is like she's 15 but she's going after him. Like that's right. the plot of so many movies. Like Little Darlings. Like it's it's literally just an, an endless – we could name – we could name – And so, so many. when people say like – I don't know. Maybe this is a creation of your mind. I'm like, no. You could vision. You could watch it at your house. You yeah, could watch it at your house right now. Like, like just, head over to iTunes. I'll tell <laughs> you, you the 25 see. movies you can watch. So many, and it's about being a Lolita and kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, that was sort of a way for young women to express power was through sexual vigor, and that's not a a good lesson for anybody. Certainly not right. for men, and certainly not for women. Anything. It's awful. I mean, I think it's also about, um, like, I mean, men not being made to recognize the power that they do have in the world. Mm. So men being able to say, like, we're all equal and she came on to me. Yeah. And, like, let me show you how extreme I can make that. I can be 50 in the movie Mm -hmm. and, like, she's 14. But we're equally powerful because, like, I, at the end of the day, can be seduced by her. It's like, yeah, well— no, this is untrue. No, <laughs> you're crazy. This, this, this is a child. This is victimization, yeah. and it's um, it's just uh, that. But the uh, normalization of that and growing up through that, and and also in the '90s, there was this weird denial of sexual abuse. It was sort of eroticized, or looked at sort of like this power dynamics is being turned somehow that we were somehow post feminism. That was so damaging, too. So I got a lot of bad stuff that happened in the 90s that it's just all crazy. So to watch it now, I just I feel so relieved that everything's coming out. And I'm glad that men are scared. They should be scared. Well, yeah, I mean, it does feel like a rug that's being shook that like really, really needed to be shook. Yeah. I feel um, also happy about it. Like it, it actually that's one thing happening right now. That I feel happy about, not because these stories are at all happy stories, but because the change in like hearing people's first person, first person articulation of what happened to them. Like, yeah, that's new. It's it's new. And also it's acceptable. Like I, I think uh, and in comedy, it's very important. And, and so that's what's great is to be able to talk about stuff that people couldn't handle a few years ago. Right. You know, um, it, you know, there was a period when we were talking about, like, rape jokes. Like, everybody was really, like, very upset about anybody bringing it up because they were looking at it like when Don- Daniel Tosh did it, you know, from that lens. And that's not the same thing when I'm talking about it. You know, it's different. So I, I'm glad that things are – now you're, you're able to look at things in comedy and, and talk about them more freely. Yeah. I mean, also – on specifically the subject that this podcast usually deals with, like sexuality has been something that you've talked about on stage mm-hmm. for a huge part of your career. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, have you noticed a change in how that is received? I think that it's um, definitely uh, much more uh, Im- important and exciting when women talk about sex. I think for uh, – when I was doing it, there was like when I was so much younger than everybody it was so f- funny because I didn't even really know what I was talking about. And then gradually coming to understand it, and then working at this um, lesbian at BDSM collective showed me a lot. I learned a lot, <laughs> sure. and uh, that was a really strange time. But I I got to understand much more about the way that the '90s perceived sexuality because there was such a fear of uh, bodies and because of AIDS, everybody had this real kind of separation between the body and sexuality. And so you were seeing a lot of <laughs> dental dams, which nobody <laughs> used. But we thought we were supposed to, you know, yeah. and that, that sort of weird like arm's length sexuality that actually became very um, imaginative. So that was became leather, it became fetishism, it became all these different things, which I think is really interesting. So it that is interesting. And even yeah. just the exact era that you're talking about being in San Francisco mm-hmm. and telling jokes like about anything when that city and then the country itself is going through the AIDS crisis and just yeah. trying to like keep a sense of humor about life. Yeah. Um especially with where you say you were like geographically working. Yeah, everybody and everybody in San Francisco at that point we were um reeling from all of the deaths of huge part of 
gay community in San Francisco were dying and or dead. And so um, it was actually up to the lesbians to keep it going. Like lesbians really defined that era because there there were so few gay men still around or able to be politically active. And and then then that sort of brought, brought, brought all the survivors brought forth this big you know, queer nation, act up, all that kind of political power really came out of this um, community that had before been segregated. Before AIDS, I think um, the gay community was really, they were separated. There was like, well, the women hung with the women, the guys hung with the guys. It was very separated. But with, with AIDS, there was this huge crisis that we had to come together to find a place of power. Um, so it was a weird time, but a good time. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think about that when I when I think about like why change now and there's a huge part of, so the week I graduated from college Mm -hmm. and I was living in Massachusetts is the same week at the end of that week, Massachusetts became the first state to legalize same sex Mm -hmm. marriage. Mm -hmm. So like I entered adulthood at the same time that marriage was legal. That's, that's really wild as opposed to, you know, then I think about like, well, why change now? Some of it is just like a dam breaking because of, folks in entertainment coming out and, you know, like a zillion, there's a zillion reasons. But one of the reasons is literally like we have numbers because there was a whole generation that wasn't really here to fight. Right. So right. like when we talk about like, well, why are there so many queer, like why, why, are, why is there such a huge amount of queer youth? And it's like, well, part of that is because there were, because uh, a ton of people died. Yeah. And we didn't, we have, it's like rungs on a ladder. We have a missing rung. Yes. Which is, um, so it, it's almost like the younger generation have to reach farther. They have to go farther because we have a whole link in our history that's missing. And so that's really important to acknowledge. Um, I think it's it's a really, I think it's a great time because there's so many queer youth. And that now where it's just like, oh my God, we're actually flourishing. And then, I mean, young people are so incredible too, Um with all of the the gun activism, their their, their anti gun activism, all their their like activism in general, everything comes out of that. I think it's a fountain of political youth. No, I mean right, and also actually, I was having a conversation with my mom when I was I was just home in Chicago, which is where I'm from, and talking to my mom, and that's literally what she said is that she was talking about liking having kids who like work in progressive fields and like a queer kid because it keeps her young because Mm -hmm. she's never going to like fall out of step with what younger people are talking about because like I have a, my queer family is younger, you know, like, like it it exists across generations. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, wow, that is like a really smart thing to say. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I thought that was cool because even I have sometimes had a hard time understanding like, how to do my job, serve my community of queer folks, mm-hmm. serve the audience as a whole, not use, like, the wrong language because mm-hmm. it's changing so fast. I yeah. want to use the right language. Sometimes I'm just, like, out of the loop on things. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I have to stay up to date. That actually is a good position to be in yeah. as a comic. Like, yeah. you don't want to be the comic that ages out. So if I'm in no. a community that, like, hyper patrols me, that's actually, like, rad. Yeah, it's Like, that's really a benefit. Rad. It's a real benefit, and it's also great to be able to continue to learn and to continue to grow as a person and understand our society in that all of these things. Like when you learn from young people, it's, it's really important. Hey, queeros. Do you like to travel? Do you love staying in vacation homes? Well, <laughs> I know I do. I love to travel. I travel for work. It's my favorite. But boy, can travel be stressful because you have to do all this planning and stuff. Well, don't visit a ton of different sites. Go to Tripping.com, where one search lets you compare every home from the world's top vacation sites all in one place to find the best deal on your perfect vacation rental. Vacation rental, you know what I'm talking about? It's like a house or like a condo or something. You can usually get a kitchen or extra bedrooms, even hot tubs. Ooh, boy, I like it. I like it a lot. You just go to Tripping.com. T-R-I-P-P-I-N-G dot com slash query and find your perfect vacation rental. Tripping.com slash query. Hey, queeros. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Bitch Sesh. What? Yes, Bitch Sesh is back with new weekly bonus episodes available exclusively on Stitcher Premium. Casey Wilson and Danielle Schneider love The Real Housewives, and they're sharing that excitement with you on Bitch Sesh. Listen in to hear the ladies dish on the season's wildest moments, answer all your burning housewives questions, and bring on some super special guests that you won't hear on the regular episodes. Don't be tardy the party. Listen to the new Bitch Sesh bonus episodes on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash housewives and use the promo code query for a free month of listening. That's stitcherpremium.com slash housewives, promo code query. What is your audience like? I think it's 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 really all over the place. Um it's very queer, very gay, uh, very, um, you know, multiracial, multi- all ages. Um, I think it's, I don't know, like I always think I know and then I, I really don't. And then I now I travel so much, you know, going um, to shows in Europe and, and Asia. It's always different. So I'm never really sure, but hopefully it's everybody. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. Which is good. No, that is really good. Yeah. And – Personally, I mean, I don't – I think I know this, but I just would rather ask you. How do you identify? I am an old-school bisexual, but I think that's, it's – That's great. It's very <laughs> 70s. Um, Ooh, tell me what, like, an old-school 70s it's bisexual very, is. There's a lot of spandex. There's uh-huh, a lot of, like, sure. uh, high waists and, you know, <laughs> jeans and, and any kind of a pant. It's, like, really high-waisted. So it's mostly pants-based. It's yes. mostly pants. It's mostly spandex. It's – um. Definitely a lot of waist definition, a longer kind of a waist. Uh, <laughs> it's it's like French disco. I think that's what it is. Um, you know, uh, it's it's not basic instinct. Although I do I do love the Sharon Stone. I, it's not but sure. It, that, what's not to love? It's like what was her girlfriend Roxy? It's not Sharon Stone. It's more Roxy. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. A lot of white denim. It's very white denim based and and uh, high waist. <laughs> How you're. So 70s bisexuality specifically, I have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> and now what I'm in, but I am in a relationship, uh, a monogamous relationship with a man. And then, uh, so now it's become, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think like, I th- I'm not sure like your definitions, especially in bisexuality or your definitions, do, do they shift? My political alliance is always with the queer community. It's always going to be gay. So that in my family, my queer family, it's always that. Um, I don't know where you uh, – but you can define as queer and have sex that's heterosexual. Yes, you can. Yes. In fact, I would say that's like kind of an inherent part of being bi yeah. is that there are going to be um, – if you like pursue the attraction that you have, mm-hmm. that – Probably there'll be moments where you happen to fall in something that looks from the outside like heterosexuality. Yes, um, but that that doesn't necessarily change anything about your identity. Yeah, and yeah. that and that is, I mean, I don't know what the experience of that is like in mm-hmm. terms of like other people perceiving you as one thing and you having something that you know is true for you. Yeah, it's a it's something that you know you you continue to learn about, and also the bisexual community is not as well defined within the gay community at large. Like you don't. You don't see a sense of bi pride, which you you would see with all of the other kinds of pride that exist. It's very it's a weird invisible faction, or can be perceived as that. I know that they exist. Of course, we have a flag. Yes, yes. Congrats <laughs> on your flag. But I, I I couldn't tell you what colors are on it or anything. Right. I don't know what it looks like. Well, I mean, it is an identity that has to be like claimed verbally, mm-hmm. as opposed to, um deferred to who you your partner happens to be. Yeah. Which, by right. the way, is, like, also not how we should necessarily judge folks is, like, yeah. who their partner happens to be. Yeah. It's um, more like um, it, it, it's something that I think it's still being discovered and, and something that still needs to be codified mm-hmm. or something. We, we just need to figure out what it is. But I am still happy with the queer moniker. Um, I always love that. I think that's very 90s, too, that queer uh, nation, the um, – that kind of activism that was really like we're we're going to take this word back 
It's not a slur. It's coming back in a really interesting way. Like I was, I was um, young in the '90s, and also kept really far away from queer culture by the Catholic culture I was raised in. Mm -hmm. Like it was literally like, like not like not in this house. Like we're gonna see none of this. Mm -hmm. But it seems to me, just like reading stuff, that some of the like in the 2000s, there was a lot of. we had a little bit of a privilege during some of the 2000s under President Obama mm-hmm. to sort of almost fight for, like, our individuality. Like, this yeah. is the word that I specifically use. And then now what seems to be happening with the community is, like, more um, embracing something like queer, which is, like, a catch-all, mm-hmm. which groups us all together, which makes us strong. Yes. Because it's like, you're going to fuck with one of us, you're going to fuck with all of us. Yes. To me, that seems to be, like, what where that's coming from. And yeah. I really like it. It makes yeah. me feel... I love that strength in numbers. It's like we're all together. And I think that's really great. And I think it's really important. But it's also important to acknowledge the distinctions between and to have that freedom too to be to be that individual and to claim that uh, privilege back of individuality. I think it's really good. Do you feel like from the gay community misunderstanding of bisexuality or do you feel that from the straight community I think it's or do you both. feel that from both I think it's both in the gay community because bisexuality has often been used as a kind of an alibi yes like okay well actually I'm bisexual so that that doesn't mean I'm all the way gay it's yes. like this weird thing and then with straight people it's like well how can you be you know like are you sure like it's again looked as another like it's alibi or this weird um halfway point or that you're not really telling the complete truth. Yeah. That also there's suspicion on both sides. Yeah. And also I would imagine that for the straight folks that are like, are you sure? And then if you find a partner mm-hmm. that you happen to really connect with who's a dude, then those folks are like, see, like I can yeah. see some of I, that happening. Yeah. See, like I was right. Um, also like with lesbians too, there's a huge, you know, um, distinction of like, oh, well, she's actually straight. Even if it, the woman dis- defines herself as bisexual, that suspicion is deep because I think it's happened so, you know, so, sort of this history, well, they're going to go back to men, you know? Yeah. That, that is, a, is a stereotype too. I mean, I wonder where, you're totally right. I think that some of that is like lesbian identity being like co-opted by straight cis dude um, fantasy. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that might not have, I think we say, I think lesbians say it's because of our personal experience. Mm-hmm. I've loved somebody and they went back to men. Yeah. But like back to men is like, like that almost, that almost would be like, and I have no male friends and I don't have a dad. Yeah. You know I mean, it's like men aren't necessarily the enemy. I think it's the objectification maybe that now that I'm thinking about this, that yeah. feeling of like, well, my lesbianism is, about me and this woman, and then dudes are claiming it as something that they, like, jerk off to. Yeah. So now that that person has, like, is dating a dude again, then it's like, well, was it all of this just for them? Yeah, it's as if we only exist for the um, function of the porn narrative. Right, exactly. And that's not the case, but it's that thing where we're all buying into it. So then it's like, what does this actually mean? Yeah. Like, in Basic Instinct, to bring it back. Yeah, 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 <laughs> bring it back to Basic. <laughs> the Citizen Kane of bisexuality mm-hmm. and Basic Instinct. The triumph is in uh, Michael Douglas being able to overcome her yes. queerness, her gay lover, their jealousy over that the fact that she's with this guy. It's like that sort of sexuality is seen and deemed more legitimate than her connection with Roxy. I, I mean, absolutely. And if I could add like a movie that was really <laughs> influential in my teen years, um, Chasing Amy is really, oh, yeah. is really tough looking yeah. back on it because yeah. – like straight up, that character is probably bi. Yeah. Like the character who um, is mostly attracted to women, but mm-hmm. then also attracted to men. Like, yeah. Th- if you're bi, that doesn't mean you have like a fifty-fifty ratio no. of attraction. It's no. like that you're attracted to folks. Yeah. And I feel like the way that that movie um, made it like his personal achievement, right? As opposed to about her. Like, yo, straight up, I yeah. actually am bi. <laughs> yeah. 
That you're not like, you're you're not, um, you don't need the dick to teach you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, right. I mean, it's such a weird thing. Like, you know, I'll show her, that kind of thing, yeah. which um, isn't real either. That's another male fantasy. Yeah. Which is, you know, that, that but that's something that just men sort of want to think. They, they can't possibly imagine a world without them. That's so, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing is like, I also think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of, well, I'll just speak for myself. Like, I fully identify as a lesbian. Of course there are dudes I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And then especially now that, like, gender is um, expanding in this mm -hmm. really beautiful way, like, how can I um, draw finite lines around anything yeah. when, like, there are totally uh, non-binary or gender-fluid people that I find attractive? Yeah. And, like, so, so I think maybe... Um, that you saying, like, I identify politically as mm -hmm. this, like, I really feel that. Mm -hmm. I hear that and I feel that. Like, yeah. I, I'm going to identify, like, politically as a lesbian forever. But does that mean, like, a certain set of sentences? Maybe not. And mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And it's okay also with the changing landscape of gender. Yes. To to really be am amazed by everything. You know, to me, it's very intriguing and exciting. And I, I love it. I think it's really powerful. Oh, my God. I love the word amazed there. That's yes. really that's a really cool way of thinking about it. I love that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like standing in in uh, the presence of like learning shit. I it's don't know. so powerful. I mean, it it's just um, you know uh, coming from a culture for me it's very fixed and the the structures of stereotyping they they're not they're not stereotypes they they they're real this sort of model minority also being an asian american woman you always like adhere to the certain like values it's very uh it it's to reject heterosexuality as an asian american woman is a real violation of the codes our families have set up or not just asian american but asian in general like in korea they have gay pride celebrations but People are masked. They're not allowed to take photographs or post them on social media because nobody's out to their families. Nobody's out at work. And it's really depressing. Like, I go to Korea and I have these friends, a lot of gay friends. We meet, like, actually kind of in secret. Nobody's taking selfies. Like, there's not this sense of we can tell people we're hanging out because then they would know. And it's really awful. Wow. I mean, I'm... I'm so your experience of... Do you... Does your fam when did you talk to your family about how you identify? Well, my family's different because they had a uh, gay business in the 70s. This is really weird. My parents came to, to San Francisco from Korea and then they bought a gay bookstore, which is really bizarre. So the <sighs> there's this like my family were around gay people and understood the language of being trans. You know, the being um being gay, being um it, you know, muscle queens, tops and bottoms. <laughs> Wait, how did they, they end up, how did this business happen? They um, bought into a business uh, that was a, a bookstore called K Paperback Traffic. And it was a gay bookstore in San Francisco. And it was sort of like, guess would would have been like a predecessor to a different light. You know, these kinds of bookstores that had like events where the people would read. Absolutely. And, yeah. Artists That's rad, Mopan right? Would do sh uh, shows, signings there and readings and stuff like that, you know. So it was this big thing in the 70s. So my family were entrenched in this language of queerness. So they, they really understood it. They were like, oh, well, it's no big deal because we are from this. We get this. They, the one thing they didn't get was bisexuality because that doesn't exist in that. They were like, well, no, but you're gay. That's okay. We understand gay. We understand straight. But by again, they're like confused because it's a co community that's not fully defined in that 70s gay political environment where they knew who Harvey Milk was. There, there, there was this excitement around that. So it's very different. Like my particular family is very awed about it. Like wow. they're different from the rest of the Korean community. So you – do you have siblings? I have a brother, yes. Yeah. And you coming out – like even sibling, everybody's just like. Well, yeah, they were like, we're like we, we, we we get. We'll the like gay. we'll definitely call you gay, <laughs> but, <laughs> but then, we're cool with it. But we're cool with it. But then uh, when you're straight, we're cool with it. We, they love 
that too. So it's it's something that they just like also because I didn't follow any of the rules that they sort of looked to. Um, I didn't go to school. That's that was much more of a devastating blow than anything else. Not going to college and not going to uh, be a doctor or be a lawyer or be all these things that they understood as like a real career. That's devastating. Where are they now with your job? Well, they love it, but they're also like, you know, they they really um, put so much um, kind of importance on like the fact that they didn't help me, so that that their guilt becomes way more. <laughs> valid oh, interesting. than anything else. So that's a, another thing. But they're funny. Do they, like, perceive you as um, – well, actually, let me ask this question first. When you were growing up and through your life, did you go to Korea as yes, a kid? Yes, yes, yes. And uh, that was always um, fraught with a lot of uh, weirdness, too, because then you're looked at as not Asian. You're Asian-American, and therefore you're shut out of a lot of stuff. Um, because they're like, well, they're American. And so you feel like you don't belong. When you're here, you're different. When you're there, you're different. So that's a very, dis, dis, um, you know, feel disenfranchised. Sure. And then do you perform there now? Do you go do shows I have done shows there. Um, it's weird. Uh, when I do stuff there, it's uh, for TV. And um, it's stressful because they really want to control what you say and, you know, you go over your set with them a million times and because they don't have stand-up comedy there, they don't know when to laugh. So they have to put it like they do the translation, so they do it in English, and then they put the joke part in like uh, highlight it so that people know what to laugh after. Whoa. (laughs) I didn't realize they don't have stand-up there. No. They have like very slapstick comedy and they have talk shows and they have like um, sort of amazing race style like reality kind of TV. But they don't have stand-up comedy as we know it. Right. So that's new. Are you famous there? I'm kind of famous. They know that I'm famous, but they don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Does your family think you're famous? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that they're relieved that I have a good life because they didn't – none of the indications from – before, you know, because I didn't go to school and I don't have those things that they know of as that's what success is. Yeah, that's kind of what I was, why I was asking is that I feel like the, well, I mean, I could do whatever, but if I'm in like my hometown paper, Mm -hmm. then my folks are like, like, you know what I mean? Like, they're like, oh my God, like if I'm in the Chicago Tribune, which sometimes I am, Yeah, they get very excited and then like friends of theirs cut out the article and like slip it under their door kind of a thing. I yeah. think it does, um, I don't know if it's like especially as a woman, I don't know what dudes who do this job feel like, but um, I think there, there's like such a riskiness for parents where they're, where they're stressed out, like what, she's yeah. going to be destitute? Yeah, they're like, and- what does this mean? Like they don't, I mean, it, it's, it's like such a weird thing for them, I think, because they, they just don't, understand it as um a job but yeah that that local paper kind of feeling i mean don't your family get excited when you're on tv yes they love they love tv stuff Mm -hmm. but i think for some reason it's like the thing that everybody can reference that makes more sense to them like Mm. it's like if they like it when i'm on tv yeah but i think they also really like it when it's just like the thing they understand yeah which yeah. is the trib. Which is <laughs> that makes sense. Which is very it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's a really big deal. Yeah, they're like, yay. This is the whole this is all the news we read. Yeah. So she's in the news. The yeah. the primary news source of the world, the Chicago Tribune. It is the primary yes. source. And where do you play when you go to Chicago? All over the place. Um have you ever have you done the Vic? I feel like you must have. Have you ever been there? I don't oh know. yes. It's like a very nice, like like whatever it is, 1,200-seat mm-hmm. yes. uh, theater. Mm-hmm. So, like, that place is fun. Folks mm-hmm. seeing that is fun because there's, like, a – That's a big, big deal. There's a nice a nice marquee yeah. with your name on it. Of and course. A photo and stuff. It's a very big deal. Is there a comedy club there? There used to be a Zanies, I think. There's still a Zanies. Yeah. yeah. There's still a Zanies. I've done that before. Yeah. There, uh, and there uh, – I, I don't play it on a regular basis, so I don't really know. I don't remember. Yeah. Do, you, do you do shows that you're – did your folks – Come see you do stand up when you yeah. were like starting. When not you were, like, when I was kid. starting. Not not for good. Not when I was a kid because they didn't get it. They, I didn't want them to there be there. Yeah, um, that make that sounds reasonable for yeah. a teenager. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't want them now. Yeah, now. I know. Yeah, that sounds terrible. No, um, but they did start coming in my early twenties, 
um, to the big shows, which they didn't didn't really understand. They also kind of have a hard time understanding stand up comedy too. But they uh, they appreciate it, you know. And um, my mother was. Uh, excited she would go in the bathroom and she would talk to the ladies in the bathroom and offer them coffee and say that they were so you know thank you so much for supporting my daughter (laughs) that's amazing I love that it was adorable like she just get you know very very thrilled to see the people and um so that 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 and they're very supportive you know they love it and um it's hard for them to come now because they they go to bed so early they're 80, so it's not the easiest thing to stay up that past 10 o'clock. Yeah, fair it's enough. Hard. I mean, I get that. Yeah. One time my nana came to see me, like my grandmother, when she was in her – she must have been 95 or something. Definitely had like fully at this point couldn't hear very well at all. Mm-hmm. Just sitting there like understanding that something is happening. Oh, you know what I mean? Just being great. like, I'm happy to see – that a thing is happening. Yeah, you know, that's like, so great. <laughs> right? I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it was. It was really nice. Yeah. So your spot, like being this, because like, I, this is going to sound like I think you're a very old person. It's really just the timing that when you started, mm-hmm. like you've had a full career. Yeah, yeah. At this point, long, a long time. Um, you know, seen a lot of things change, and um, and I am kind of older. I mean, I well, I'm old for sure. I'm 49. So that's old for, I think, show business for comedy. I mean, unless you look at people like Joan Rivers or somebody like Don Rickles, who they, you know, performing till the very end, which I love. Is I that love. what you're going to do? I would like to. Yeah. I would like to. I think that, um, I, I mean, like Bob Newhart does shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But those guys, they also travel in a level of comfort that makes it possible to do. Like they all right. have private jets and stuff. Um, that to me is out, way outside of like I can't even imagine that kind of like living. Sounds good. It's it sounds real good. It's real good. I only did a a couple. I've done it a couple of times, but only with other artists. I did it with um, I went with uh, Bill Maher and Sean Penn to um, Hawaii, where it was it was really um, just so luxurious. I'm like this is uncomfortable for me because it's so too fancy. Yeah, I'm asking also because like. You're like, how do you stay stoked on stand up? Because I feel like that's a long fucking career. To yeah. Have, what yeah. you've had so far. It's long, but it's also like you get stoked by like, if I can write a good new joke, then I'm like, oh my God, this works. That's great. That's great. You know, that's still the greatest pleasure is writing something, doing it, it working. I can add this to my act. Like, this is great. And especially if it's, uh, Something that's meaningful and timely and good. So that's, I think that's what keeps you going. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like the same thing I'm using, which is yeah. like <laughs> being bored maybe a little bit and then I'll have like some really great fucking idea. Yeah. And then I want to work on that so hard. Yeah. And, and I, then you go, oh, this is great. This happened. And then and then you're like, I created this. And then that keeps you going to the next thing. Right. Yeah. And in terms of like talking about your... Your, your like, sexuality, your identity as it relates to, like, the larger world as we're living in this evolving, how do you stay on top of what you should talk about? I think it's – What do you do? I think it's, um, you know, trying to figure out what to say about it and trying to figure out where I stand. Um, and the news is constant. So there's always something. There's always something that you can um, look to. Um, it's always always – a thing like, you know, um, I guess like the latest thing, I guess for me was just the excitement of Chloe Kim winning a gold medal. Like this is a huge. What a badass. <laughs> so there's like a lot of, I was like, I'm writing a lot about that because it was uh, something that, because we don't have a lot of Asian American role models in that, you know, like that we have her and then there's um, Tila Tequila. <laughs> you know? Sure. Yes. So there's uh, a limitation. Equal skill. The but same it, amount of natural talent. <laughs> but if you look at Tila Tequila, like when she first emerged, there was like this incredible feeling around the fact that she was bisexual. Also, she's like a branding genius. Yes. I mean, just yes. Tila Tequila, like just like <laughs> that alone, it's like, mwah, like congratulations. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect personality of the early 2000s VH1 reality show right. boom. Like right. that kind of like amazing, like branding. Um, but, you know, that, that's 
the, the excitement around a new Asian American icon. I think that's really cool. So that was the last thing that I was like excited to write about. Have you met her yet? I haven't. I was supposed to do um, the Maroon 5 video with her, but we couldn't. It, it was a scheduling difficulty. I, I couldn't do it, but um, hopefully I will soon. Yeah, I'm sure that you will. And She's super cool. She is super cool. I also feel like, oh, man, sometimes when I see somebody like that, I'm just like, I just am like, I I, I get I get in a very protective zone. Mm. I, I don't even think it's like now that I could be the age of her parent. I think I've just kind of always been this way where I see like a – because she's so young. Mm -hmm. She's so naturally pretty. Like when she takes her little helmet off and she's like just been running down the hill. Running? That's not what it is. She's just been uh, snowboarding down the hill. She like – her. she just looks perfect. You know what I mean? And I – all I want to do is just be like – don't let him get you. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I want to protect her so hard. I know the because... beauty that and that purity. You know, I I just I I think she's really special and and I love it. I think yeah, she in that 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 look engenders that sort of like want to protect. Like I don't want you to be you know fucked over by the stupid shit. Right, and especially when you're you just look at how many people have that combination of just like right personality, right attitude, found yeah. the right thing to do. It's that's great. like not very many humans on this planet. No, and it's inspiring. And I think it's it's really, it's it's just, it's so thrilling to be able to get that excited about something and, and to watch it and get that lesson of like, actually, we have that in common too. We, we, we went into an industry that we loved very early and found massive success. So we can look at that and, and look at her and go, we actually did the same thing. Wow, that's really cool. I yeah. also love hearing that you are affected by seeing like a younger person on television who looks like you. Yeah. Like to me that really, I feel like we don't hear that. You know what I mean? We hear it the other way a lot. Mm -hmm. Like we hear, we hear the Chloe Kim to you perspective. We hear the like white lesbian with short hair to me perspective, but I don't (laughs) think we hear a lot about like, cause that affects me too. I'm realizing now, you know, like when I see somebody on TV that's younger than me, There's like a – I love you having like a deference for her. Oh, yeah. Like I have it really for Ali Wong. Who fucking rules. I love her. And then when I look at her from uh, where I am, I'm like so inspired. Like I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. This is like the greatest thing. And, you know, it's taken so long – 35 years for me to see another Asian-American woman do a comedy special. That's too long. Holy shit. I mean, I really hadn't thought about that. Like, of course, I didn't have to, so that's why I didn't. Um, But I – the 35 years thing. I wouldn't have placed that. 35 years. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. No, you're yeah, – yes. It. So, so yeah. that's to me hugely inspiring and, and um, you know, I love her. I love Aparna and Antarla. Like mm-hmm. the same like feeling of like, oh, my God, we can do this. We're doing this. We're still doing this. It's great. Right. It's so amazing. And so I get a lot of inspiration from younger people. I mean what year was All-American Girl? That was um, 1994. So that's how long – uh, well, and that's how long it's taken to see uh, Fresh, Fresh Off, the, off boat. the Boat. 20 years. Yeah. Really long time. That is a hugely long time. Yeah. And I think that when we talk about diversity on television, um, so often I think we get stuck in the idea of like what diversity – like that it means that the folks that we see in a family mm-hmm. or in a friend group mm-hmm. should then therefore all be – each representing one singular identity. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah. Like, we basically just got like one show. With, we just basically got a show with like two black dudes in the same friend group. Yeah. Like, when New Girl was on. Yeah. You know, like, before that, it was literally like, one of each. This is how we hang. Yeah. Like, you know how it is in the world. There's always like <laughs> one person of each type. That's right. how friend groups are. It's like jelly bellies. Yeah, you know, exactly. there's, there's one that's like, exactly. you know, one one that was vanilla and one right. that's um, right. the Coca-Cola one. Right. It's like very, I don't know why it's this thing of like um, sort of uh, have a pick and mix. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and then when we show uh, Asian characters, they are not with their family. They're with their friend group. Yeah. And their friend group is white. Yeah. Um, with like, again, one, possibly two black guys. Yeah. It's <laughs> um, weird. It's um, But it's it's this thing of like when, uh, you know, there was that whole Oscar so white thing and then this, this need and push for diversity 
that was sort of what casting opened up as. We're going to have one Asian person on every show. That kind of thing is weird, which is at least there's one. At least there's something. Yeah, I mean, we're moving in the right direction. It does feel weird to me, though, that sometimes then it's almost like there's like a stacked identity where it's like, well, this is our like gay Asian um, like – former like vet like veteran yeah. character like yeah. the, like this this character has like three or four stacked identities yeah. and then the, this is a white guy yeah you know who, who has, has like who has like no particular identity no identity but just the the ability to not have to represent anything yes exactly they can yeah. just be somebody that tells the jokes or something it's very it's weird how uh we just allow white guys to have um the freedom of individuality Whereas uh, people of color don't necessarily have that. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, um, even sh- even like – ugh, I'm going to change the subject. I'm not going to do what I was going to say there because I'm – well, actually, I will. I'm having a very hard time because I really love the show RuPaul's Drag Race. But I, I do too. But I really think that RuPaul needs to stop talking about how trans people can't be involved <laughs> in drag because it's that's very super upsetting. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, I'm like, what is what does that even mean? Like, what is he talking about? Like, that to me is on uh, – I, I don't know. It, it, it's not representative of what the show is. That attitude Completely. is weird. Yeah. I was just having that conversation with my wife. Yeah. Which is that I think the show is saying something yeah. in the booking and in the like types of drag that there is art drag on there. Of there course. is like gender fuckage drag on of course, there. Yeah. It's not all like um not just pageant queens and it's not just um comedians, which I actually are always my favorites. And I mean I love all that stuff. I love it. But all. I love that it's all there. And yeah. I was just watching um an, like an episode of the show where um there, there's like four or five black queens on this season mm-hmm. and that somebody went up and asked – and actually this queen I think happens to be Asian – went up and was like, which one are you? To mm-hmm. the And it was like the idea that we're just not even – oh, we're not even taught to like see enough people of color in a room that we would be able to – figure out which name goes with which yeah, person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it's that confusing. That's a, right. like that's so insane. But I yeah, I love that show too. I think that um you know, all of it does generate press though. You know, whatever is said, whatever is done, it does generate more a uh, sort of a a direction of like looking at this. So, I don't know. But I agree with So you. you think it's positive from that angle, just the idea of like – If people are talking about it, I think that's probably the best thing of all. I yeah. mean – but yeah, I don't agree at all. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know that – I mean I just want uh, – well, like I would look ridiculous in, a, in any of the outfits that are uh, worn on that show. So that's <laughs> how I know that like – uh, actual gender identity doesn't yeah. fully like if I was wearing anything that any of them were wearing that would be drag. Because yeah, I, it would be drag for me. I, I would I would definitely be uh, uh, out of my element. It's strange. Yes. Yeah. So yes. I but I I will, maybe I'll put into my brain what you just said. Yeah, generating ideas, generating conversation. Also, people are saying no yeah. publicly, and so yeah. then therefore that's being listened to. And so at least that conversation is happening. Yeah, where people are saying I actually disagree. Right. As opposed to just like never having that conversation and us not knowing that yeah. folks disagree. Yeah, but you it's know? also like and that sort of brings up the question of where does this idea of drag begin in the begin and end in within gender? Like, what does right. that mean? Um, so it's a larger conversation, I think. I mean, what do you think that? that- I think it's. Um, I think that the artistry of drag actually doesn't even speak about gender. It actually is is uh, beyond gender. That drag is um, something that uh, I I have a friend, um, world famous Bob. She identifies as F to F, <laughs> so she's actually like. Female to female, like F, F, I think it's more female to femme, that kind of thing of like, she's also a drag queen, but also biologically a woman, but also, uh, you know, taking this sort of world that she wouldn't be allowed to compete on RuPaul's Drag Race because of her gender. That's sort of the thing that is, um, yet she's still in the space of that artistry. So I don't, I don't know. Like, I think, do women get to compete in that? I think they should. I, I I think that also trans women should be competing in that too. I yeah, think it's I all mean, 
Absolutely. I think it's all open because I think drag goes outside of these definitions that, of gender. Well, you know, this is also making me think of, for you, somebody who has had to, like, represent so much, like, mm-hmm. literally represent an entire continent Yes, uh, for a large portion of your career, for, like, at least 20 to 35 <laughs> years. Yes. Um, how, how have you been patrolled about gender? Um, I think that, uh, you know, there, um, I had a relationship with a trans man, and so I was talking about that relationship, and people got very... Um, you know, uh, freaked out that it was a fetishization of trans people and that it wasn't the right way to talk about it. And that it was um, this time where I think it was probably mid-2000s where people were very like, you know, um, policing language around pronouns and stuff like that. So that was around then. And now, you know, we sort of learn to talk about it. I certainly learned. Like I don't want to uh, – court controversy on an issue that I totally wholeheartedly – believe in supporting the trans community in all the different ways that their their expression, gender expression exists. So I don't want to be um, derogatory there. That That's, to me, a very it's – a, it's a minefield, though, because you don't know exactly what is the right thing to say. You're catching up with yourself. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. And then it's like I, – I get confused, too, when people have, like, the pronouns that they have to be they. That's so confusing to me. <laughs> um, it's they. What's the – yeah, what's the confusing part? I'm like – is it more than one person? I guess so. No, it's not more than one person. I mean, I think it's like, I think it's just an evolving, you know what? I have a lot of, I have, I have a lot of familiarity with they mm-hmm. pronouns. Like a lot of folks in my life use them. And so it no longer sounds weird to me at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that for folks that are having the reaction that you're having, which like many people are having, mm-hmm. it's about like familiarity. Yeah, Like learning. any word or any, um, Change in change in usage requires catching up. Yeah, and I think like my angle on it is compassion mm-hmm. towards people who aren't being like willfully an asshole. Right. So if you're saying like it doesn't make sense to me, but then you have like a willingness to learn, then yeah. I think you've um, done like you've sort of uh, exited out any offense that could have been taken. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's something that I hope that we're moving towards as a community is, is yeah. like, cause like even on this show, I put a little disclaimer um, because I, I know that there's going to be words that we're going to say mm-hmm. that like, don't feel right to all the people that are listening. Right. So I'm like, cool. Mm-hmm. You can tell me that on the internet and I will try to keep up. But then yeah. I always say at the end, like, like, the most important thing would be to, like, continue this conversation with actually the people around you. Like, somebody mm-hmm. can tweet at me and tell me how my language should be improved and, like, I'll listen to that for sure. But mm-hmm. I think we're going to move further, faster as a community if we're having all of these conversations with the people that we actually know. Yeah. Not necessarily just, like, strangers on the internet. Yeah. I think, well, my my issue with they comes from just my interaction with one person who I really don't like. <laughs> who uses the pronouns? Yeah. I think it's just them. Yes. Well, I feel like it's it's it has nothing to do with the pronoun. Open itself. your heart to new theys. <laughs> there is probably I know so some many great they, theys. I just yeah. have one they that they're just an ass. They got to hit the road. They should not be. <laughs> they should not just be one person. Yeah, exactly. But see, there you go. I mean, it's like you realizing that in yourself. That's a good thing. Yeah, and they're Korean too. You know. It's it's heavy. It's heavy. It's deep. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I guess the final thing, oh, you know what? I was going to ask you even one more question, but we're like kind of at the end. Okay. So I feel like, first of all, it's been great talking to you. Great talking to you. Thank you for coming in. Of course. And chatting it out. And I want to ask you um, to shout out a queero. So a like queero. A, um, a queero, I think, uh, well, there's so many, it's crazy. I mean, Harvey Milk, the the ultimate, you know, that's uh, from my childhood, from my youth. Um, somebody that was incredibly influential and still is, you know, that, that uh, you know, that's a really powerful thing. And then also I do love Katie Lang. I just saw Katie. Isn't she great? I just, Where did you see her? At the Ace downtown. Like oh, yes, a that's right. Ago. That's right. That's right. Yes. Um, and actually somehow scored 
not somehow, like deliberately made a run yeah. to try and get some sick tickets. Oh, good, good, good. And cashed in like, like give me some sick tickets and then got front row seats. Oh, perfect. And Amazing. that voice. Amazing. Amazing. Same. Same voice. So like beautiful. maybe like an like a slight amount lower. Mm-hmm. Um, but same power. Incredible. And also like as like beautiful. Lower. Gorgeous. Like beautiful, higher, beautiful, lower. Gorgeous. How everything. the fuck that person has kept so hot. That voice. I um uh, also Taylor Mack. I just saw him at the um he just won the MacArthur grant or, or from last year, Taylor Mack. Great. Um and so he did this. A uh, show which was twenty four decades of gay history. So I was in, I was in it in the last six decades, so uh, to present. But um, he just did Macheteline, and it was such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful show and beautiful song. And so that's a new Shiro too. Wow, um, I need Taylor to go Mac. see that. Yeah, he's really great. Um, Margaret, thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, keep rocking it out there on the road. Thank you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I will. Hey everyone, Scott Ackerman here, host of Comedy Bang Bang, and um, thanks for listening to this show. And I want to tell you, I have a, a great episode of my show, Comedy Bang Bang, uh, floating around out there, out there in the internet. Our good friend John Hamm, the madman himself, he's out uh, talking about his new movie Beirut, and uh, we have uh, Paul F. Tompkins and Jess McKenna and Zach Reno from the Off Book Podcast. It was a really fun time, and it's a good episode. So uh, go check it out. You can subscribe to Comedy Bang Bang on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever, honestly, you want to. I'm not I'm not here to tell you where to do it. Or I guess I just did. Anyway, Comedy Bang Bang John Ham this week. Check it out. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> Ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.